I'm Sally Farrant, and this is the Pricing Queen podcast. The podcast is here to help you get clear on your pricing and profit and start making more money in your business. I've got a track record for helping companies get their heads around their business numbers. And now I'm here to show you how to start earning the money you deserve and become a pricing queen yourself. If you love this episode, please do rate and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And do follow me on Instagram, which is at the pricing queen. And now on with the show. So today on the show, I've got Louisa Clark. Hi, Louisa. Tell everybody what you do. Hi, Sally. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, So I run my own business called Confidently There. Uh, I'm a verbal communication specialist and a restorative practitioner, which basically means I work with both individuals and businesses, taking clients from dreading the really difficult conversations to feeling like they know what to say in those situations and how to feel okay saying it. So very often my clients are confrontation avoiders or trapped a bit in people pleasing habits, or they lie awake the night before big meetings uh, and they don't know how to handle those situations or work-life balance has got really out of whack, those sorts of things. Um, And the restorative bit is um, I work with clients on a toolkit uh, to know how to hold a conversation in a way that is going to be non-confrontational, non-inflammatory, that allows you to say the difficult thing, but in a way that is going to be forward-moving and productive. And I hope that everybody already knows why I've got Louise on this podcast, <laughs> because pricing is a difficult conversation. Really? So uh, I should also tell you that I'm sort of related to Louisa, because yes. she's my husband's cousin, but I also know that everybody finds having difficult conversations and pricing is one of the most difficult that you when you get out there and you've got to put yourself out there and say this is how much this thing is going to cost um so tell me a bit about the tips that you would have for having some of those particularly pricing I guess conversations but but sales conversations in general can be a bit icky can't they Absolutely. And yeah, it's the perfect example, actually. And I think the the biggest mistake people often make is they are sort of waiting for these conversations not to feel difficult or uncomfortable. And actually, what we need to do is the same with boundary setting. It's the same with, you know, communicating to a boss at work that you want to shift your working pattern or that you are asking for a raise or, yeah, if it's for your own business, actually communicating my prices are going up or, oh, you're interested in working with me. This is what I charge. Um, We have to learn to expand our own capacity to tolerate that discomfort rather than waiting for it to not feel uncomfortable. If we're waiting for that, I know, I know, I hate to break it to you. If we're waiting for that, we're waiting for the wrong thing. (laughs) In so many ways, setting a price is like setting a boundary. And um, it's about the fact that you are stating something that the other side might be surprised by. They might feel a bit inconvenienced by it. They also might not, by the way. And I think we play in with pricing. We play up in our heads very often that, oh my God, they're definitely going to think that this is far too much, or they're going to think that, you know, they're not going to see the value in it, whatever it might be. So getting better at having those conversations, the first stage of that is actually being quite mindful about what those feelings are that are coming up for you. And and then also having compassion for that, not berating yourself or beating yourself up over that, but sitting with it, get a bit curious about it. Um, I have a little phrase that I work on with clients a lot. I call it RAH, like think of a lion, like RAH. And it's because it stands for R-A-A. And it's basically any time you are heading into a conversation where it feels a bit 
crunchy or you're feeling a bit uncomfortable, so often we either recognize that feeling in ourselves and therefore it means that we just don't have it, we run away from it, or we slightly lessen what it was that we were going to say to make it a bit more comfortable for ourselves. Um, Or we just try and kind of plow through ignoring the fact that our body is kind of going, something about this feels really challenging. And what I would really recommend that people do instead is think of this RAA strategy. And it's about firstly, recognize what is happening for you in that moment, affirm it, allow it to be there. Um, So it might sound something like, I can feel, I can feel that this feels really icky. I'm about to tell someone my prices are going up. I can feel that this feels really icky in my body. I feel like I want to vomit a bit. I feel like I want to run away. I feel like I'm not worth it, whatever it might be. Notice it, but with curiosity and then affirm it. It's, it's okay that it's there. Yeah, of course I feel weird about this. Of course I do. It feels difficult to state to somebody this is what I charge for what I do. Uh, it, it feels new, maybe. It feels challenging. It's okay that it's there. And then allow it to be there. That's your, your, your second A. Allow it. It's, I'm allowed to find this difficult. I'm allowed to find this a little bit crunchy. There's nothing wrong with me about that fact. Welcome it all. It sounds like quite a kind of floaty, floaty thing to do, but actually there are really solid psychological reasons why we ought to do that. And it's about actually what the root of your self-confidence is it's about working with the way that you are feeling rather than trying to ignore what you are feeling and pushing past it. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that's so true. And I think it's that kind of thing of also trying to disconnect your personal value. So not not the value of what you deliver to a client, but your personal worth and value to a price. There's a lot of kind of going, well, I charge this. And if they don't buy, then it's all about how awful I am and all of that sort of thing. And we all have that. You know, you can't kid yourself that nobody has that. But it's kind of going, actually, this is it's just a price and trying to disconnect that a bit from from it as well. Totally. I think if you can, in your mind's eye, picture that when you're going into a conversation with a client about, about pricing, stop picturing that it's it's you sort of against them, where you're almost coming kind of head to head. And instead, can you picture that you're standing beside them, looking at this thing that exists between you? And the thing that exists between you is the work that they're interested in engaging you for. Um, and you're absolutely right. I completely agree. The more you can separate and go, this is, this is my business. This is the work. It's not me as a person um this is something this is a contract that would exist between us and 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 recognizing and trying to really think into the value that it is adding to the other person and what that actually might be for them mm-hmm. um yeah as soon as we feel like we're heading into a dynamic where it feels like we're kind of against or head to head with somebody it's always going to feel far more challenging um, the more that we can see ourselves looking at the situation side by side together to discuss it, the easier it tends to feel. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, I think it's it's very important to kind of set your stall out early and all of that sort mm-hmm. of thing and get the boundaries right. I think boundaries with clients um, in general are really difficult, but if you don't do it, nobody else will. Nobody else will, exactly. This is That's one of the biggest penny drops that I often see clients that I work with have. I work with a lot of people who would define themselves as introverts or as people pleasers. Um, and it is suddenly having that, and, and I do this work because that is me, <laughs> or that was me. Um, and I've gone through quite a big change. Um, but I, it was a massive realisation for me to kind of work out, oh yeah, unless I start saying no to something unless I start advocating for myself and really keying into wait how does that feel I used to be able to feel 
that I'd be asked to do something. And I'd have sort of said yes before I'd even think about it. But knowing that I already felt a bit resentful in my gut about it. Um, and it's something I talk to clients about a lot now. If resentment, really, we should use that as a little alarm bell that we haven't set a boundary early enough. If you're in a situation where you're feeling resentful, and Sally, you talk about this a lot as well. If you're working with a client that you feel resentful about, notice that, validate it and recognise it. It's probably because you haven't got the boundaries right. Or so, the price is too cheap. You know, you've exactly. said yes. You know, always know what the minimum price you're going to, you can go in at where you're going to go. This is still worth me doing. Whatever the work is, it's still fine. Because once you go below that, that the cheap clients are always the biggest pain in the ass. They're always the ones that take up all your time because they're the ones that want the most value for value for money, university yeah. commerce. They kind of want the most out of it. But on the other side, they're just really demanding. And it's like they and they're the ones that are always pushing your boundaries. They're the ones that message you at the weekends. You can just guarantee that they're the yeah. ones that make you really resentful. Whereas your bigger clients somehow don't care so much. Well, and also there's the flip side of that as well, which is that ultimately you are going to turn up and do your best work for the clients with whom you don't feel that resentment. So actually it, it's it's a kind of lose-lose on both sides. Um, you are not going to deliver the best of you and the best of your work to those clients that you are feeling resentful about. So, but we can't keep waiting for the other side to recognize that and to go, oh, well, hang on, I feel like we're pushing things a bit here. You know, that's just not going to happen, is it? We've got to key in and recognize it. But it's doing them and your other clients a favor too, because ultimately, what is the most sustainable uh, and kind of restorative way of working through that is, is to recognize what your own boundaries are to work within them because it's going to, because it's going to be your client just as much as you, the best of you can turn up. Um, you're going to feel connected. You're going to feel good about the work that you're doing. Therefore you're going to deliver better. The clients are going to appreciate it more. And if it's at the, it's got to be at the right price point for all of that stuff to exist. Well, I think it is. It's kind of going, I don't want a million clients. I haven't got the energy for that. If you have fewer clients at higher price, that might work better for you. And actually, if you kind of go, do you know what that little client over there that, is just taking up all my time. You just you just have to have that difficult conversation, which is you do. It's time to part ways, which is one yes. of the hardest. Got. I mean, I've had a couple of those in the last six months. They're really difficult conversations to They're have, really and I don't hard. like having them. It's another one that comes up a lot with clients, actually. And and the advice I'd have around that is to firstly take care of yourself. Do that that stuff, that daft little RAA thing for yourself before you have that conversation. Recognize what you're feeling, affirm it, and allow it. First of all, you'll go in feeling so much more centered. And then um, speak through eye language as much as you can do. Um, and if you need to, very kindly know that you can name the dynamic. So you can even say, I find this really uncomfortable. I find this really difficult to say, but I feel as though this relationship is no longer serving me in the way that it's important for my work to serve me. It means that it's taking up more of my time and energy than it feels like the, the price point would be appropriate for. And so moving forwards, I would like to either leave this contract there with, you know, in a month's time, two months' time, whatever that agreement is, or look to review the basis on which we're working. And if you need to state, I'm finding this difficult or I feel uncomfortable, say it. It doesn't make you weaker. It just acknowledges what it acknowledges what is currently there and what's happening between you. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, if you have difficult clients, then you need to say, actually, you know, I don't think we're the best people to work together. You don't have to say, I find you a complete pain in the neck. But you have to, you know, but equally it's not kind of too pussyfooting around the fact that actually this is why, because the client knows that most of the time. Of course they do. Of course they do. Relationships absolutely work both ways. They generally do know it um and i think again clients i i often feel around the difficult conversations of which this is a perfect example they feel as though they're trapped in a binary choice of either being liked and being nice or being respected (laughs) and a lot of my work is about proving to them that is not true there is a middle way there is absolutely a way that you can be kind and really productive and hold non-negotiable boundaries. We don't have to separate and, and have these two things. Um, it, it's not about choosing one path or the other. One way you kind of just lie down, let them walk all over you, but they really, really like you and you're a bit of a pushover or you're kind of bolshy, aggressive, authoritative, unapproachable, but you know people really respect you. It's a really outdated um, mode of thinking I think I think it's a really outdated model of leadership but that I think we've seen time and time again it still kind of gets celebrated a little bit and it's one of the things I feel most strongly about in my work is is showing people the way to have these conversations in a way that does not compromise in terms of what it is that you need to say the difficult stuff but in a way that is kind do you find that that's much more true of women than men in general, that women are generally more people pleasing and are more likely to let their boundaries be pushed than men are in they general? Are. Do you know, I definitely thought when I first set my business up, I've only been going since September last year. But when I first started, I really thought that was going to be the way that it went. And I really thought that I was going to pretty much exclusively work with women. Um, I never stated that in my positioning or in my messaging. My brand sort of leans a little bit that way, I think, without stating it. But actually, it's been really interesting because, yes, I think there are, I mean, I think it's a bit of an epidemic um, that so many women, we've been raised in a world where that older model of leadership, of being authoritative, assertive, uh, a little bit kind of power over, command and control, that style of leadership, that style, dare I say it, probably for a lot of us, maybe even of parenting for a while uh, or teachers at school, like um, figures in a position of authority for us. It was that dynamic. So that was kind of celebrated. And as a result, we learned to adapt to that. And it tended to mean that we ended up in positions that felt a little bit more subservient and therefore were in people-pleasing behaviours. Or we are really conflict of we're just terrified of those conversations and terrified of ever upsetting anybody literally within our nervous system it makes us feel unsafe because we kind of learned that from a very young age what I found really interesting is actually two of my um kind of longest standing and really key clients with whom I'm seeing huge transformation transformation are men and uh, it's been really interesting to me to discover that they are certainly not immune to this But actually, I think women have more of an accepted outlet around this stuff than men do. (laughs) And uh, the the men I'm working with, both of them are ambitious, really driven. They're family men, but who really want a successful career. They're pretty high flying uh, in the careers that they're in. It's a sort of executive style coaching that I'm doing with them. But their work-life balance is completely shot because they don't know how to 
continue to be the kind of leader that people feel a guy in their you know, late 30s, early 40s should be who is in a high up position within a business uh, and really delivering at a high level. But how to do that and to put that up to five o'clock on a Friday and have their full weekend restfully, peacefully, enjoying their family time without stuff from the week kind of filling their headspace. Um, it's been really interesting to me that, yeah, I don't think it is. In fact, I know it's not exclusively women at all and I think we find it easier and have it's more of an accepted thing for us to talk about yeah I think that's right I think women have way more outlets to chat about stuff yeah 100% (laughs) women are just talkers (laughs) yeah we really do it's so true it's so true and you said you talk about a lot with introverts and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and tell me a bit more about how that's yeah how that shows up differently say if you're than if you're extrovert and that sort of thing in terms of having does it does that make it more difficult to have difficult conversations or 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 do you think it just takes more practice I think uh I think it just takes more practice actually and what's really interesting as well um is I was using the term introvert a lot in my messaging, my positioning early on with my business. Um, I've moved away from it a little bit recently because I've had a few conversations with people who have said so much of what you put out in terms of the content that you deliver on social media and from your newsletter and so on really resonates and helps me, but I don't define myself at all as an introvert. And so then I think, oh, well, wait, is this for me? And it really helped me realise, and there's, there's somebody in particular I'm thinking of who's a good friend of ours who is is a huge extrovert. I would absolutely state she was, but she uh, also finds some of those difficult conversations tricky. And she was stating that actually what she does is she goes even more into extrovert mode in those situations by way of kind of muscling her way through it and and almost sort of um, faking her way through it rather than feeling that she can sit down and connect and and in in a kind of vulnerable way have those difficult conversations. Um, So I I think it does really apply across the board. But yes, I mean, I am definitely an introvert. Um, I know we've said before, Sally, you say you you find it quite surprising that I am. And I hear that a lot. And I am definitely an introvert who's very good at pretending to be an extrovert. Um, But But as we said, we were chatting before, actually, it's where you get your energy from. So I'm definitely extrovert. I get my energy from other people and all of that sort of thing, whereas introverts get their energy from. It's not really about how sociable we all think of how sociable you are, but actually it's not really that at all. It's how you recharge and. And that's that's right exactly how you recharge your batteries and you know ambiverts is a thing and I think I'm probably one of those where actually I can dial up whichever one but yeah fundamentally at my core I am definitely an introvert I need time and space on my own in order to recharge my batteries for sure um and yes it, it definitely it is those that identify more as introverts I would say because of that fact that they recharge, they need the time and space and quiet, um, that it can mean that they also fall into that that category of being the most conflict-averse, the most concerned about um, the possibility ever of confrontation, of displeasing others. Um, They worry about sometimes about putting their voice into conversations without apology, you know, sitting around a in a big meeting, do they have the right? Is their voice as valuable as others within the room? They sit there chewing over the thing that they feel they ought to say. And then the meeting kind of comes and goes and they realise they never did actually say it. And they, you know, I think all of those traits are things that I know I can really help with. And a lot of those traits, it's introverts um, who would say that they kind of resonate with those, I suppose. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's kind of not speaking up and kind of, and also not wanting to have the not being. I think as an extrovert, you kind of go, do you know what? I can be brave. Like we were talking about, you know, you can be brave and have that conversation. I think the danger when you're extrovert is that you kind of go, you say the price and then you carry on talking and you talk yourself out of it. And you, well, before you know it, you've reduced the price and you've carried on talking. Whereas I think often when you're in, more introverted or more shy, you'll mm. be much more inclined. I think a lot of people do set up their businesses because actually they don't want to deal with other people. And, you know, they like being mm. on their own. They like being at home on their own. But there are circumstances where you've got to go, right, I've got to gear myself up. And it's like the eat the frog thing. I've got to go and talk to this prospective client because, and it's trying to remember the outcome, which is, I might have some more money and I might be able to do some more things. And that actually part of it is a bit of a numbers game. And if you don't get out there, you're not getting anything and you can't know what's going to happen if you don't get out there and do something. It's better than doing nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what's interesting is I, I, the whole reason I set up my business really was because of a because of discovering this sort of mindset stuff around money and around value. Um, and genuinely, Sally, when I first sort of had my idea about my business, I listened to loads of your the first series of your podcast. And it was the episode particularly on value-based pricing that was a real light bulb for me. Um, speaking of somebody who I was full-time as a lecturer in higher education before, um, I was really, I've, I've got a toddler um, and I I had gone back to work having had him uh, full time, but doing compressed hours because I wanted a day a week with him, but didn't think I could cope on 20% less of my salary. Um, cope, you know, first of all problems, but didn't really want to deal with uh, our income being reduced by that much. Um, and was finding it really difficult. I went straight back into the, literally, I went back in uh, end of March 2020, so straight into the pandemic, straight into a version of my teaching role that was exclusively online when I'd been used to working, you know, in a studio in front of people the whole time. Um, and I did that for a year uh, and then basically burnt out and I needed a bit of time off in the February following. Um, and it was in that time that I sort of really realised that I was really not doing okay. And I think it's the introvert thing partly actually with having to be so in front of people the whole time and juggling that versus being a mum. I'd lost my dad not that long before that. So dealing with grief, there was just a lot in the mix. And I really realised I needed to, and really wanted to, work less but be earning the same essentially and I needed to think outside of the box and advocate for myself and recognize my own value to be able to do that um, so I booked some sessions with a wealth coach originally an amazing woman called Sarah Maxwell who it was her it was working with her that I had a huge penny drop because she'd said okay well let's say you want to go down by two days a week and just work three days um, what's the income that you lose out on and where could we reclaim that using your skill set and let's think really quite broadly and suddenly realizing that I'd only ever been working in one market but actually that my skill set could be really valuable <laughs> um, broadening it out and applied in the more commercial sector and at a price point then <clears throat> excuse me at a price point then that was um, going to be much more favourable and was going to be a, a, allow me to have a bit more downtime with my family and a bit more downtime for my own well-being. Um, it went from me going, okay, well, I'll reduce to three days a week and I'll do a few corporate hours here and there to going, I think I've got a business idea that I really want to run with. And then, yeah, it was thinking of it through the lens of value-based pricing mm. that really made me see a way forward. And it's not yeah. greedy to want to be paid more. 
you know it's, no. and that's the other thing I think we often think oh well it's greedy to want to be able to work less debt you know I want to I want to have my you know the lifestyle I want whether that's more time with your family whether you want a more laptop lifestyle or whether you want to be able to sit on a beach you know all of those things it's like but that's not greedy that's having the life that you want to have and I think we often think that we're quite greedy for wanting to be able to say well I don't work Fridays or you know that sort of thing but actually it's really important to have those things that matter to you when nobody sits on the deathbed and goes oh I wish I'd worked more yeah it's <laughs> so true and your kids it's grow up so, so quickly yeah. so quickly Absolutely. Becoming a mum. I think actually becoming a mum and losing my dad so soon afterwards, those two things really landed with me. Do you know what? We only get to do this once. And you're right. And actually COVID as well, I think, you know, really helped bring a lot of stuff home. And, you know, it's one of the upsides of it this the the virtual world and how accessible and easy it is to work with people actually anywhere in the world by zoom really made my business possible um i don't know how i'd have done it without that realization before um but yeah it shifted a lot but thinking about the value that you can add and again that's another moment where we might need to do a little bit of work in our own heads around it might feel a bit uncomfortable to key into thinking about, I really think this is the value that I add to other people. That's okay. Let's not beat ourselves up about that or or berate ourselves, but it might feel new and we need to recognise it. But as soon as I started doing some of this work with businesses, with individuals, as soon as, actually, as soon as I started posting some stuff on social media, um, the, the, responses that I got and the realization that this was really resonating with people and actually significantly improving their well-being apart from anything else because it it restores for them the possibility of advocating for themselves setting non-negotiable boundaries managing work-life balance asking for the raise um, going for the interview and feeling more okay in that scenario healing uh, broken down relationships you know it gives you the toolkit to know that you can head into any of those difficult conversations and know what to say and how to feel okay while doing it. That is of huge value to people. Um, and so, yeah, it was through all of that really that uh, I saw a way forwards and, you know, here I am, I'm now full-time in my own business. Well, not full-time. Yeah, exactly. But I think it is, it's kind of, what do you want from your business? There's definitely a, yeah. You know, what do you want your business to look like? It's different for all of us, but, but what does that look like? Like I want to work, I'm happy to work, you know, more in term time. I don't work Fridays and I work much less in the holidays mm. and that works well for me. I can't do that in a job. So, but what is it that it might mean I earn less sometimes, but actually I have more flexibility and that's what I want. You know, I can go to sports day, I can go to parents evening, whenever it is and all of those sorts of things. This has been brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. Where do we find you? Thank you so much for having me, Sally. So you can find me by my website. I'm at www.confidentlythere.com. You can also find me on Instagram with that same handle and on LinkedIn. I've got a company page and I'm on there. Um, And if you are interested in any of this stuff about how to even get started on having the difficult conversations, I've got a newsletter, which if you sign up for it, you get seven days of content um, sent out to you about how to start to approach uh, setting clearer boundaries and feeling more okay whilst doing it. So um, I'll maybe drop you the link. um, That would be brilliant. Yeah. Thanks. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much. Not at all. Thank you very much, Sally. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Pricing Queen podcast. If you did, please do leave a review and five-star reviews are obviously my favourite. 
um, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And as it helps me to get much better coverage for this podcast and gets more people to hear about the tips and things that I share. If you want to follow me, the best place to find me is on Instagram at The Pricing Queen. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.